Welcome to the 177th episode of Rank and Review. This episode, my dear friend Scott Lehman is going to join your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons. That's me. That's the voice that you're listening to right now. He's going to join me to discuss six found footage movies. This is a, a, a genre or subgenre of films that I've always played defense for. I did a two-part audio documentary special upon it uh, about it a few years ago. And I did an entire episode dedicated to it for episode 25, but nobody nobody seemed into the found footage, and Scott decided he was going to jump on this grenade for me, so get ready for some found footage. If you have feedback from me, you can send it to rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to Rank and Review. As always, you should know that there is going to be some coarse language and there's going to be some spoilers for the movies that we talk about, but let's all be grown-ups about this, shall we? If you're looking for something else to fill your ears with podcast-wise, I would encourage you to check out Welcome to Riverdale. I would encourage you to check out Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast. Please check out the Shelf Shedding Movie Show and check out the Terror Table Podcasts. These are all good things to put in your ear. Now let's get on with Rank and Review 177, Bound Footage, Part 2. Just watch. I like to watch. I like to watch too. Scott Lehman returning to the podcast. Welcome to Rank and Review. This is the 177th episode of rank and review, if you can believe that shit. <laughs> I can. And way back in episode 25, my friend Jaron Francis and I talked about found footage movies, which is, well, it seems like I'm a huge fan about it whenever I talk about it because I always feel like I'm playing defense of it. But the two genres that I feel are the most maligned by the horror audience right now are found footage and zombies. So, as a true advocate for all things horror, I feel like I need to play defense for found footage and zombies. Like, the last time you were here, we talked about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and that was very much something that you'd wanted to do. Is this sort of you, like, uh, just uh, doing me a solid by doing these found footage movies? Or was there something I, here you were curious about? No, I mean, like you said, there, <laughs> there's a... Uh... A large amount of people just have a problem with it, or they just brush it aside or blow it off, saying, "I'm not." That's just one of those found footage movies. It's a shaky camera. 
Uh, it's they're all the same, uh, and I feel like that's not the case. I came on kind of to the I did a zombies episode with you as well. Same that's kind right. of thing. Uh, zombie movies aren't always the same. I wanted to defend that. Um, a lot of people there's some hate towards the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so I wanted to you know put a voice positively towards that. So um, I'm a fan of found footage horror. I think it's uh, if done right, it can be really um, uh, you know effective as far as you know creating a scare or an environment where you feel almost uh, like you're watching something real. Um, depending how the camera works, you feel like you're a part of the movie. Um, as far as experiential horror, it's probably the best at capturing that for me. Like where I really feel like I'm there or I've witnessed something that just felt too real almost. Like uh, that's where found footage really excels. And I will say not every found footage movie is good i mean of course there not. are some where it's like yeah this was made found footage style because it's cheap yeah. uh, and it's an easy way to to make a movie but um but i think if, if done right um you can really tell an interesting story this way well i think that's where a lot of the problems actually come because see people think it should be easy to make a found footage movie and if that's the attitude you have going into it well you're going to be responsible for contributing another weak entry into it but for me, it's weird for someone to say, I hate found footage, because, like, I understand if someone says, I hate slasher movies. I mean, I disagree with them, but if they're not into seeing somebody chased by a masked guy and a knife, if that's boring to them, then I, then I get that, right? But found footage, I mean, it's an approach to a story. It's not a kind of story, necessarily. It's just how the story's being told. In theory, you can tell any story within the realm of found footage. It's more like attacking an aesthetic of the film. It's more like saying, I hate movies that are in black and white. Or I mm -hmm. hate movies that are full frame. Or I hate movies that were made for television. Like, it's kind of absurd after a point. <laughs> like, And I, I, can, I can understand some people, they have a problem with, um, with the shaky cam. Sure. And that's a, that's a big aspect for some of these films, where the person holding the camera is running away or or they're not pointing it at the floor, they're pointing at the floor or something. And if it's a theatrical experience with the big screen, I could see that maybe being tiresome. Yeah. Uh, one thing you notice with a lot of found footage movies, though, is the running time. Is sure. They're always short. I mean, I think there was one of these six movies was a few minutes over 90 minutes, usually 80 to 90 minutes, and that's, that's enough. Um, you're not, I don't think a two-hour found footage movie would be something that would work as well. Um, it's usually, you know, get in, have the experience, and uh, get and out. Done, but, uh, well, that was my one reservation when I reviewed the first VHS movie, was because it was over two hours long, it wore me the fuck out. But I really liked a lot of the stuff that was in it, but it was almost too much like to take in all at once the isolated films by themselves i really liked but all of them in a row were just too much somehow you know the other interesting thing about found footage is that a lot of them have different approaches in this like we say found footage and i think most people think the blair witch project where People get themselves in a survival situation, somebody's got a camera, and we watch the last few days or hours of their lives play out. And to be fair, that does happen a lot. But much like our zombies episode, what I wanted to sort of get across with these six movies is the different tactics that you can take and still, quote, call yourself found footage. 
some of these are actually almost closer to faux documentary than found yeah. footage, but I still think it fits under that umbrella. I think it would still that it would still be judged by that same eye if someone was looking at it in their Netflix queue or in a, at a video store if they still existed. Uh, they would judge it as this found footage thing and decide to watch it on that basis, right? Yeah, I mean, like a, a film like uh, The Bay, for example, it's it's not really found footage. They didn't find this footage, you know, in the woods, and they're going to play. It's it's a different thing, but it's still that technique, right? Yeah, but it's assembled out of security footage and recovered yeah. footage from people's personal videos. So in that way. It is kind of found footage, but that's another yeah. question that I always like to, to ask. It's something that I've been curious about the Paranormal Activity franchise, and now that it's been officially announced that they are going to go forward with another Paranormal Activity, I hope that they uh, actually start answering this. Who is putting this footage together and why? Sometimes we have that answer in the film, but a lot of the time we don't. And Isn't it Paramount Pictures? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> But why, why are we watching the snuff film? Who put the snuff film out for us to watch if it's so, quote, real? Yeah. Anyway, is there anything else you wanted to say about found footage or about the six movies or about your life and about the weird world that we're living in these days before we start the podcast? Well, uh, it was good timing, you know, with all this COVID-19 stuff going on to watch a movie called Quarantine. Right. But, uh, <laughs> other than that, um, no, I mean... I, I don't know. I'm doing okay. I'm watching a lot of uh, a lot of movies and <laughs> it's giving doing the best I can. Free movie watching time. A lot of times when I'm watching movies, I'm like, man, my probably should be out enjoying the day and doing shit. And now I guess, like, I do my real movie watching in the winter time. It seems it's lovely outside. But me and the kids have been watching a lot of Spider-Man movies and hanging out down in the basement watching movies projected up on the wall. So, no found footage for them yet, though. There's still a bunch of cowards my boy <laughs> well ease them in slowly start maybe with cannibal holocaust that's right that's what i and, was thinking yeah now is is that found footage is that the first found footage movie um as far as, uh, that's debatably but it's sort of like it starts like a real movie then they roll the footage and right. then the footage is yeah, supposed to be real and then it comes back to so i mean there's gray areas and there's countless movies that use weird point of view stuff there's that famous peeping tom movie from the 60s where there's sequences when he's taking pictures of the woman and slowly getting ready to kill them, which are all seen through the lens of his camera. So that voyeuristic look is actually the approach that the audience sees. But could you honestly call it a found footage movie? The beat goes on. Certainly Blair Witch is responsible for popularizing it. It wasn't the first found footage movie, but in a way, as far as capturing the interest and imagination of the world, it was the important one. It was the Beatles of the found footage movies, right? Cause, I'm, ass I'm assuming that's kind of where the phrase found footage came from, though, from that film. Well, it wasn't called that before. Was as it? a subgenre, I believe so, yes. I mean, I, because it was, that movie was literally, it gave you that feeling, this is found, we found this footage, these film woods. reels or whatever, and, and uh, marketed as a real event. And a lot of these, or some of these films are that way too. They want you to believe this is real. This yeah. is not a movie. There's no soundtrack. This is, you know, real stuff. And uh, and in going into it with that approach by saying to your audience, basically, this is not a movie. You have a crutch. You put a crutch on yourself. You can't use movie tricks. You can't cut to the grisly close-up. You can't use the, your big Hollywood score. 
you know, if you have too recognizable of an actor, it breaks the illusion. So in a way, mm-hmm. it kind of hamstrings you, but in another way, because you get that reflective reality within the quotes of your, your you know, horror movie aesthetic, it's it, when it works, it can really work. Uh, here are the six movies that Scott Lehman and I are going to review, and I'm so happy you're back on the show, man. I always love having you on. Thanks for doing well, Thank this. you. Uh, the Devil Inside, a surprise hit when it was released back in the day. Paranormal Activity 2, of course, the follow-up to another hugely popular found footage movie, Paranormal Activity. Quarantine, the remake of the amazing zombie found footage movie, Wreck. Chronicle, which Josh Trank directed and was subsequently given the Fantastic Four movie franchise and subsequently his career kind of went hugely sideways, unfortunately. VHS 2, a interesting found footage anthology film. And we're going to finish it off from director Barry Levinson, who brought us movies like, you know, Good Morning Vietnam and Wag the Dog, this absolutely grisly found footage movie, The Bay. That's what we're doing. Thank you so much, Scott. Let's get at her. South Hartford 911, what is your emergency? Three. Three people. Ma'am, what's the problem? Three people are dead. I killed them. Ma'am. Ma'am. When I was about eight years old, my mother murdered three people. She had committed these murders during an exorcism. An exorcism performed on her. The Holy Church got involved, and she was transferred to the Centrino Mental Hospital in Rome. So here I am. You start wondering, is it in my genes? Am I going to flip out one day? Just precautions. She became so difficult, there is a panic button on the wall. Maria, I'm your daughter. Connect the cut. So, The Devil Inside, 2012, directed by William Brent Bell. Um, It's got a fascinating subject to explore in that uh, the Vatican apparently does ordain and, and send out exorcists who actually, you know, do that kind of work, or so it is said. Apparently, in the vaults of the Vatican, they have, like, hours and hours of footage of these things taking place, and it's this big conspiratorial point of interest. And this premise of this woman who is apparently possessed and turns herself in for murder, and then many, many years later, her daughter looks into the case to see if her mom was crazy or possessed or what the story was, is full of intrigue. And because it is treated very seriously and because there are moments that are genuinely, I will give it some points, creepy and that do work, there's a lot here that, like, I... I, This could be another great entry in found footage. But it's one of these movies that, for me, it's it's responsible for a lot of people not liking found footage movies. It abandons the audience completely at the end. Like, personally, as a filmmaker, getting the opportunity to have a movie made, to get your story told, to get your vision on screen, it's, it's an amazing thing to do. It's, an, it's a hell of an uphill battle, an accomplishment to get it made. 
and to find people to get to watch to see the movie, to bring them in and to get them to watch this found footage movie. And then when they watch it, it seems like the filmmakers did the bare minimum they could with fantastic material. That's what I think of when I think of Devil Inside. I think of a huge missed opportunity. I don't think that the acting is bad. I think that the script is bad. And I think that the approach of found footage on this subject absolutely makes sense. Anthony Hopkins made a movie on the same subject called The Right, which wasn't that great of a movie, but I think there is something there. There is something that could have and should have worked. And The Devil Inside just is this bruise to me of something that could have been awesome and did make a lot of money. This director went on to make another, I guess, successful enough jump scare movie called The Boy and its sequel about a scary doll. <laughs> but uh, to me, I just, I don't like the movie. I, I've, I've, I've gone back to just to the point where I don't like the movie. I have to admit, though, Scott, the first time I watched it, I hated it. The ending to yeah. this movie is the biggest fuck you ending I think I can think of in film history. So that's my angry tirade opening on The Devil Inside. Uh, I remember recently we talked, uh, we had a little exchange and you were telling me, look, it's not that bad. So I'm sorry <laughs> if I sound hi hyperbolic, but where do you land on The Devil Inside? I, I kind of agree with everything you're saying. Okay. Um, well, actually, you know what? I, I am agreeing with everything you're saying. Um, the issue, as you kind of said, is there's like parts of a movie here, but yeah. it, it doesn't feel like it's a whole movie. There's there's ideas and and segments that work, but as a whole, I feel like maybe it, it kind of loses itself a little. And you're right. When if we're going to talk about the ending, <laughs> right off the bat, right. Um, I mean I, that's weird. I mean we're just starting to talk about this film, but we want to say how bad the ending is. It's not every film that you like is, or any film, it doesn't have to have the best ending. You've seen films where you say, I, I like this film. The ending's not great, but the whole thing's pretty good. This is not bad. This is just, it, I mean, it's just, I think I agree. The worst FU ending that they could do, instead of ending the film, they tell you, if you're interested, go see our website for more information. Yeah, which that and website doesn't even exist screen. anymore. Like, <laughs> I don't know how long it was up, but you can't go to see whatever information that was there. And, and, I, and like you, the first time I've seen the film, yeah. uh, my reaction was anger. And I, I, I hated the film because the way that ending left you. They could have had, you know, the greatest film and then do this at the ending. But it, it just, all I remembered was the ending. Yeah. And so I was not looking forward to rewatching it. Um, but I thought, you know, I kind of, let's see what it is. Now that I know it's going to you know, say fuck you to me at the end, I'm, I'm ready for that now. Let's see what the rest of the movie is now and, and let that ending happen. Um, there is stuff in the film that I do like. The idea is kind of interesting with, you know, I don't know if, the, if they exist or not, this group of rogue priests that, you know, go and they do unauthorized exorcisms. Um, I mean, it's kind of a neat idea. Uh, and there are moments in it that are genuinely creepy. I mean, right off the bat, it starts with a, an opening 911 call. That's really good. Which is, you know, black screen. Yeah. And and that works. It's creepy. The crime scene with the old video, the VHS camera, uh, that's that's good. Um, the visit with her mom, there's some creepy moments there. This exorcism they do in the basement, this is all stuff that works. But By I themselves. don't know if it's all really tied together. And then they just forget where the movie's going. And it seems like it's reaching and building to a climax. 
And then they say, for more information, visit our website. That's right. And I want to be clear. It's not that it has a negative ending or like we don't know what the ending of the movie is, is the problem. Like, I can't even really spoil this movie's ending because it doesn't have an ending. I don't mind movies with bad endings. Like a lot of people's complaint about found footage movies is mostly they're snuff films. It's hard to invest hard in a lot of the characters when you're watching a found footage movie because you almost have to assume that we're watching the the events leading up to their doom. <laughs> so there's this weird distance that you obviously kind of employ right out the gate. But no, you're, these movies by their nature tend to have grim endings or abrupt endings. A found footage movie that I love that I talked about in episode 25, Troll Hunter, you know, the car yes. flips over and the camera gets smashed and that's it. <laughs> but yeah. we've seen enough of that movie that a story has unfolded and we know that trolls exist. We didn't know that before we watched this movie, but now we know that they're out there. Yeah, we know. <laughs> what we have with the devil inside are a lot of really familiar exorcist tropes done well. That scene with the woman and her like dislocating her bones and putting her body way out of shape. Yikes. That was that was amazing and effective. Yeah, you get those bones popping and she's all contorted. I agree. That that got me. Yeah, and but like there was ten minutes before that and ten minutes after that where it was kind of lackluster. But that scene had me glued, and I do think the yeah. performance of this the the woman who was possessed in the hospital she looks both like fragile and desperate and like need of help, but there's also real danger in her too, and I think that's a real fine line to walk. It sort of reminds me of the the girl from the Last Exorcism movie that. Ashley Bell, I think her name is. Like she, she looks both really sweet and innocent, but she can, on a dime, seem really, really evil. And I don't. That's not an easy thing to pull off credibly. I don't think so. Again, props to the actors. They're given it. They're given it. Ugh. That's. It's almost worse for me when the movie is like almost good. Like if it was wall to wall bad, it would be easy to dismiss and not get too angry yeah. about it. But like, well, and that's the thing. That's that's kind of why the, a bad ending like this pisses you off a bit more because you want you want to kind of pull for the, the film because yeah. you're sort of with it. Um, you know, if you hated the whole movie, you wouldn't care if it had a shit ending because it's like, well, this is a shit movie. I, re I really don't care. I'm just glad it's over. Yeah. So that's why I did have disappointment with you know the middle finger at the end. They were doing enough and, right that it could have got a pass, but the ending was just an abandonment of the audience. Like, <laughs> it's it's an hour and fifteen minutes exactly. Right. And then you get the end, and then you get the the slowest credit crawl that I've ever seen in my life, just to pad the running time to I think like eighty three minutes. Get it to feature length. You, you remember? Did you notice that? I, well, I, I'm sure I turned it off. I didn't stay to wait, see if there was a stinger scene or anything like that. Like, I knew that the movie was over. But, no, I've seen this used in a few times. I think I talked about this in, uh, it might have been Darkness Falls. Uh, they they had a prolonged end credit sequence so that they could get the film to feature length. Like, yeah. they, they stretched and that's, it. You could, you could tell it was so obviously done for that reason. That, you know, I was glued. Look, how, it's just unbelievable how slow the credit crawl was. And, you know another eight minutes of credits for this film yeah and as far as using the found footage for this particular story it's the right 
format because according to what little we know about spooky Vatican activity, they do document all of these things. There is somebody present who's recording everything for posterity or for to, to help train other exorcists, presumably, or whatever. So there's a real, there's something real that you could tap into here. And all you needed to do was just finish a story. It like it's almost like they they were making it up as they went along, and then the day they ran out of money, they decided, okay, the movie ends this scene. It it sort of felt like that. <laughs> it hurts I mean, my feelings, Scott. I mean, there's there's a movie that you know that I love, and it's got a terrible ending called Nightmare City. <laughs> it does have a terrible but, ending, but it's way better that, than this movie. <laughs> and I think I ranked that at like number one, <laughs> but. Uh, but that movie is just so silly it deserves to have a silly ending yeah there's nothing you know silly about this film it's uh, uh i don't know it just uses up all of your goodwill i don't know what more to say i feel like all i would do is be repeating myself i will champion the acting in it and again the idea the core idea of the movie was good but i don't know who's i like the that script yeah, yeah, no. I mean, as it, as it goes, I, I think I found it's fairly predict, predictable as it goes along as well. Yeah. You know, you're not surprised at all once the demon starts jumping to different people's bodies. You know exactly the moment it happens. and um, It opened and, really but, well. Like, people wanted this movie to be good, I think. There is an audience that really get into these religious-themed horror movies. And it was like a, quote, successful found footage movie that didn't, as far as I'm concerned, live up to the hype. So that's another reason I don't like it, because a lot of people who, quote, don't like found footage will use this movie as a rod to beat the genre. And it's a movie that, for me, is harder to defend, you know? I can defend the Blair Witch Project. I have no problem defending the Blair Witch Project. And I have a lot of good examples of found footage movies that people will pause and say, well, yeah, that one's okay. <laughs> this one doesn't do that. This one kind of pisses in my pool a little bit. <laughs> I'm, is it just me, or does it sort of feel like the movie abandons its story as it's going along, too, though? I mean, we, at a certain point, we're no longer concerned about her mother or what happened with all that, because now it's about the demons the jumped to, to, the, to the priest, and now it's jumped over here, and, and now we're going to the hospital, and, but, and we're just going all these different places, and we're, that's what I mean as far as it feels like there's you know, different ideas here, but I'm not sure if it's a full, realized story pulling them all together. I don't know if that if the idea was that the writers thought that that made it feel real that it was this weird disconnect that in the real world there are no main characters we're all bit players I don't know what the fuck they were going for, yeah. but they they did sort of have yeah I agree it felt like it, they kind of ran out of ideas at the end because it feels like things are ramping up and we're going to get a climax pretty soon yeah but instead oh that I guess that was the climax it's an all previous. stop. There's a zombie movie called Automaton Transfusion. It's a super micro-budget but really gory zombie movie. And you can tell, like, it's it's really rough around the edges, but the guys who made it really loved it. And, like, I would love to sing its praises as an unsung, like, zombie movie that people should see. But it literally ends with it to be continued. And you and was it continued? No, never. As far as like, <laughs> no. it's been at least ten years. So as far as like, that's it. Finish Still your waiting. fucking story. This is film school one hundred and one, you guys. And the 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 outrageous thing is not only did they not do that, but they were rewarded. They made a ton of money with this movie. 
And really, it shouldn't be hard because found footage movies are usually the easiest to have an ending to. Yeah, because it's built in. Someone's going to find that <laughs> someone at the end drops the camera, and that's the end. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I I'm, think we've. I'm done. I don't know what else I can I'm, do. You good? <laughs> I, I'm I'm all good. Okay. Sorry, I'm Devil just Inside. Learn how to connect the cuts. This was not the one where Larry surprisingly turns around and, and, and sings the praises of a previously shit-upon horror movie. No, I agree with everyone else on The Devil Inside. This is your room, Hunter. Hey, Jackie. <laughs> Who is that? It's Rena Katie. So weird. I totally thought we lost it. Somebody broke in and trashed the house. Christy thought it was a ghost. I know you guys are freaked out, okay? And I'm gonna take care of you guys. What's your take on this whole ghost situation? I think it's awesome. This is the freakiest thing that happened to me last night. This is the door closing by itself. Opens Thursday night, October 21st at midnight. So, Paranormal Activity was a huge found footage success. I reviewed it in episode 25, the, the, the other found footage episode, and I really, really cheered for it hard. And, like, I stand by that movie. I think it's a middle-of-the-day scary movie. You can watch that in the middle of the afternoon, and it will creep you out. Um, it, but if, oh, watch that at night all by yourself in the basement, though. Yeah, and that'll definitely then, creep you out. So, uh, I've, as I've said before, sometimes when I revisit movies, my opinions change upon them. And I've already said, in the, well, for the record on this podcast, that I think the odd-numbered installments of Paranormal Activity are, as a rule, significantly better than the even-numbered installments of the Paranormal Activity franchise. So that's just something that I've noticed to be true. But I will say, when I watch Paranormal Activity 2 again, like for this podcast... I softened on it. I used to say it was like actually super weak and it became close to like an actual thumbs down review. And upon watching it again, I think enough of it works that like if you meet the movie halfway, if you engage with the movie, that I think you'll have some good jumps out of it. It has enough scares. The problem is, is how much I loved Paranormal Activity and how genuinely scared I was watching Paranormal Activity. This movie made me jump a couple of times, but it didn't scare me. Paranormal activity scared me. <laughs> so well, to, that's welcome that's, to the same page. Is that where we are? Okay, we're on the same page with that one again. Um, like the first one, they really made that effort to make it feel real. You know, they have that opening saying, "We thank the families and right. the you know the Carlsbad City Police or." Um, or, or what was it? yeah the families of the deceased they thank the local police authorities but uh, you're you're right though it, it felt the beats were kind of familiar um, and to to sequelize it to make it a little bit bigger instead of having one camera you had the six cameras throughout the house plus a handheld camera um, yeah. putting that security footage all together more cameras more people yeah and I was watching it and I, I remember it. Yeah, kind of like you. I after I did watch, I rewatched the first one after, 
this because in my head I felt like this feels much the same as the first, but not as thrilling or just not as, you know, it didn't grab me. It didn't give me that creep factor. Um, so I had to rewatch the first just to see if that, if it was actually that much better uh, the next night. And yeah, it totally was. Yeah, the first one still it's, just works. It's and a it, scary it, I, fucking I went movie. to bed hearing every creak in the house as <laughs> I slept. And I didn't get that through the second one. I mean, it I just think seemed, uh, the discovery is gone. It was a lot of gone. kind of we've seen this before sort of thing. Yeah. Um, nothing that we hadn't seen in the first done better. Right. The, the discovery is gone too. It's no longer is she crazy, is there or is there not something supernatural. Once we realize this is Katie's sister and that we're directly plugged into the first movie, she's not crazy, they're not they're not out of their minds about this weird activity. Something creepy de definitely is afoot. Here's a note that I would give this movie that I would almost never give a ghost movie. Some of the movements in it are too small to take seriously. The pool cleaner jumping out of the pool is not going to like make me stay up at night. <laughs> like that is not super super scary. I I understand that the first movie paid a lot of dividends in seeing the sheet move on the bed or the door creak a little bit closed and I think that was this movie's attempt at that. But to me I was like the eye rolling um, the dog barking at the corner of the, the child's room. It's, it's cool enough, but when haven't we seen that in a supernatural movie, right? All of the discovery, all of the sort of what's going to happen, what's going unfolding, are they going to find something? All of that is gone. The movie just becomes a waiting game, punctuated with some scares. Some of them actually pretty decent, but none of them that accumulate to make me make me jump like I said at the beginning but not make me scared and that was the biggest win for me about Paranormal Activity 1 was like how genuinely scary I found the movie <laughs> like little kid first and, time I saw Jaws scared <laughs> and I think part like part of why I rewatched the first one after was because I wanted to realize what did that movie do that worked that this one didn't really get me that scared for me you're right there were a couple moments I knocked, like when all the covers opened at the same time with a blam. Boom. It, yeah, you jumped because it was a boom, it was loud after it was quiet and it's unexpected. But I didn't feel creeped out about it. But yeah. it was, you know, it was kind of neat the way it happened. But uh, to me, what I think it was, it's too many cameras. That first film worked because we had one camera and you're looking down that dark hallway and yeah. you can't really see what's down that hallway and you hear footsteps, you see a light going, but you can't. It's the dark hallway that we all have in our home. Or, or as a kid, outside your door, you have that dark hallway. There's nothing uh, to cut one, to. This one, there is nothing that you couldn't see. You could see the whole room yeah. and uh, every room and the entry where nothing happened anyways or, or the pool. But um, So I think, to me, that's what worked. It was a smaller film, and I think in this case, smaller was better. I agree. The thing that worked with found footage a lot is you can't see... It's not a big panoramic shot. You get uh, a small window, and you can't see around the corner until your camera comes and looks around the corner. Yeah. So Paranormal Activity 2, we could see around the corners, and I think that took away some of the creepiness of it. Well, and I think in Paranormal Activity, we want to look away, but we can't. Like, because we're locked into that one camera, we don't even get the relief of cutting to another angle as much as we would like to. 
it, it, it traps us into that in this way they can manipulate us more and show us what they want us to see when we want to see it and help to manipulate the scare better but that makes us jump but it doesn't get into our, our blood Paranormal Activity 3 genuinely creeped me out too part of it was the 80s aesthetic but just the idea of these little girls playing in the house in the dead of night with their quote invisible friend as a concept, as a story, as an idea by itself that was creepy enough to get me back to the vibe of the original this one is one of those sequels that's trying really hard to repeat the original and they're just not as successful it's kind of a Ghostbusters 2 sort of scenario where all of the ingredients are still here, but somehow it just doesn't taste as good. And if if it's going to be sold as a found footage paranormal activity type film, why do they don't show us everything that's happening in the room? Like you would think that show us what happens in this room, like uh, when something's happening but then it pans away or it cuts to the next security camera but it's not showing us what's happening in the room where the activity is happening right you know what i mean no absolutely um, if, yeah. if it was um, somebody or like somebody studying the paranormal they would stay in the room but it's somebody yeah who's cutting this footage why that's again an interesting question that i really hope they someday decide to get into with these paranormal activity movies I think there, there's a scene I'm specifically when uh, the mother starts getting a little bit possessed and she's in the, the baby's room. Yeah. And then uh, she leaves and then the, uh, the young girl, she goes and she picks up the baby and then the mom comes back in the doorway. But we don't see what happens. The next scene it shows us is the young girl back downstairs calling her dad. Yeah. But that's, that's security camera footage. So that footage is there. Somewhere. Uh, I don't know why they wouldn't have just left it and say that could have been a creepy scene. Another missed opportunity. I mean, if I, we should, I mean, we should say something positive about it. So oh, yeah. uh, there is some positives about the film, and I'll say I do like the way that it tied into the first. Absolutely. That it, you know, it's it's in fact a prequel, but you don't realize when you start watching it that it's a prequel. They pass um, you, off the you curse. Don't find out right away. Yeah. The... You're watching for a while, and then all of a sudden you see the characters from the original appear, and, and then you're kind of piecing it together. It's like, oh, this is a... Okay, I get it. Yeah. And it does tie together enough. And then at the end, it ties together with the end of that film as well. So um, I thought that was... They laid enough seeds in the original where they could add more to it. And they did this again in the second, adding more seeds about when they were kids. And then they carry that forward. So there is some planning that they did. Yeah. And I liked... I, that was definitely something that I did like about the, the, the story. Um, and I also liked that in the first movie we had sort of a strong-willed, pig-headed male character. In this one we have a similar figure with the father figure uh, firing, you know, the maid who's clearly meaning well and doing, doing all the wrong decisions. But I didn't hate him the way a lot of people got pissed off at Mika in the first one. I just believed that he lived in a world where supernatural shit didn't exist, right? <laughs> so, like... Uh, you know, I, I knew not to invest in this character. Like, if only one person was going to die in this movie, that motherfucker was going to die <laughs> in this movie. But, yeah. And bringing Katie and Mike back, back into it, because they just have this new baby. They brought it home. We haven't done a good job of describing the plot. But, yeah, this new family, uh, they, have a, they have a baby, and they come home one day, and it looks like they've suffered a break-in. But uh, the house was locked, and very few things were actually missing. But from this point on, strange shit starts to happen. 
And yeah, we meet, we find out that this is the sister of the main character of that first movie, and it's slowly woven into it. They don't, they don't spoon feed you with that information, which I, I appreciated. Um, it's a respectful sequel, and again, my disliking of the movie or my being negative towards the movie had more to do with the fall. It's not even that this movie is that awful. It's that the first movie was so good that by comparison, this movie feels less good than it actually is. Yeah, I don't think I dislike it. I think I just kind of shrug and say, okay, it was a paranormal activity sequel. Yeah. You know, even the way it ends, it's kind of, uh, it's not a terribly strong ending, but it's not a devil inside ending either. If they finish their film. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's still kind of, yeah, The right. story of that household is settled. The whatever ongoing saga of what's going to happen with this little kid and the, the main character from the first movie, there's still more story to be told, but this story feels over enough that I don't feel ripped off by the ending. Again, not a feel-good ending, but you don't bump into those a lot in the Paranormal Activity franchise, I've noticed. No. They could have just said to be continued on there because you know there's going to be five more coming. Well, and at least in this case, they definitely did know there was going to be a Paranormal Activity 3, so, like, fair enough. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about Part 2? Uh, no, I don't... I I think we hit it all. Yeah. It's, it, again, I feel like I, it came out kind of throwing my fists at it. It's not as bad as I'm suggesting it. It's just nowhere near as good as where it came from. Well, I mean, I'll point out one other thing with it, too. There's a scene where uh, the girl gets dragged by her feet out of the room and down the stairs. Yep. We've seen that also in the first one. And uh, for whatever reason, the when she gets dragged out of her bed by her feet down the hallway, that, in the first one, that puts, like, goosebumps on the back of my neck, and, I, you know, and the door slams. Yeah. This one, you almost feel like it's kind of funny in the second. You know, because it's, we it's see just, so I don't much know, Because more. they go a bit bigger, and yeah. it's almost a little bit more cartoony, the way she's dragged down the stairs, she gets up, and I mean, it's not funny, but I can see an audience, you know, having a bit of a, you know, a chuckle with it. Sometimes more is less. Sometimes you can get away with it. There seems to be two schools of thought in the found footage, like, barely show us anything at all, like just give us the barest glimpse, or show it to us so perfectly all the time that you know some level you start destroying the illusion of your found footage. <laughs> anyway, I think that's good on Paranormal Activity 2. Ready? Okay. Hi, I'm Angela Vidal. We're in Los Angeles, traveling along with the fire department. Is that so bad? These are the men you'll be shadowing tonight. Wherever they go, you go too. Police are here, I might be a little more serious than we thought. A woman was screaming bloody murder back there. Fire department's about uh, to begin the rescue process. Police say that she lives alone. She's not very sober. Okay, okay. No, We're gonna get you some medical no, help, okay? No, no, no. Go, go, go. Yeah, come on. Tape everything, you hear me? Tape everything! Officer down! We have an officer down. I need an ambulance immediately. Do not try to leave the building. This will all be over shortly. Why are they isolating us? Right we are told that tenants inside need medical aid. Chief! Everyone's been evacuated. Everyone's completely safe. Why would he say that? I can't get through to my husband and my daughter. Oh my god! We gotta get out of here. Quarantine. It's a. Uh... It's a remake of this amazing found footage zombie movie called Wreck. 
And it's interesting to me, I was just talking to Scott before we pressed record, that nowhere on the DVD case and nowhere in the behind-the-scene documentary do they mention that. And holy shit, does that rub me the wrong way. It kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth. It's not that this movie is poorly executed in any way. In fact, I think there's some good acting in it. There's some really good, amazingly executed sequences in it. Almost shot for shot taken from Wreck, its source material. I'm going to make a super current like reference here to Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Everybody would always uh, always sing the praises of Fred Astaire and what an amazing dancer he was. But Ginger Rogers did everything he was doing, but backwards and in heels. The original Wreck movie shot in an actual apartment movie. Quarantine had a meticulously several stories high set built to accommodate what they were doing. The original one was dealing with a lot of inexperienced actors and uh, sort of mixing a blend of improvisation and screenplay into building the experience that was Wreck. Quarantine basically transcribed Wreck into English and used that as its script. There are very, very few changes from the original to this one. So I guess my big problem with Quarantine, and I don't know that it's entirely fair, is what the point of it is. Like, other than having Wreck in English, and, you know, getting to see Jennifer Carpenter use her screamer a lot. Like, I don't know what this movie accomplishes. It certainly doesn't distinguish itself. It doesn't, you know, try to elevate the first movie. It's not disrespectful of it, except for the fact that it seems to want to hide the fact that it's a remake. But <laughs> I, I can have fun with it. It's a claustrophobic zombie movie. This woman's doing a, a documentary on people who work the night shift in Los Angeles. She's in with the fire department. They get a call to an apartment building. They respond to an old lady acting crazy. She's super wolfed out and zombie. And before they can leave the building, all of a sudden the powers that be have locked them inside. And they find out why very quickly as more and more people become infected. You're right, then it's an uncomfortable movie to watch at the best of times, but perhaps more so while in quarantine for a global pandemic. So I think that all of the things that worked for it before were maybe accented in the age that we're living through. I think that the movie is fine, but I also think it's fundamentally unnecessary. So it's hard to, for me to get excited about quarantine, and that's too bad because I love zombie movies and I love found footage movies. So I'd like now to be watch, I'd like to be happier with it. <laughs> I would say watch this movie not knowing it's a remake though. And how does that change your impression of it? Well, hard to say. Hard to say. Um like there's a similar thing with Let the Right One In when the American version of it it's decent. Mm -hmm. It's actually a well enough good enough movie on its own, but because the first one was so good, there's just something fundamentally unnecessary, it seems, about it. I wouldn't say don't watch Let Me In, but I would say definitely watch Let the Right One In, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind so of I where I'm I, here. I believe I've seen Quarantine before I've seen the original Wreck. I see. Um, and and you're, you're right, Wreck is amazing. Um, I love Quarantine as well, because it's essentially Wreck in English. You're right. Yeah. So, it would be. It would seem weird to say I don't like this movie, but I like the other one. Maybe I like one better, but it's the same movie, really. Uh, they built the set to look basically identical to the apartment building in the first one, 
uh, even down to that uh, that overhead door, yep. the connecting back room. Um, even the, the lead actress sort of even looks a little bit like the lead actress in, in Wreck. Uh, there's, it's a shot-for-shot shot remake, really. But it's for what it is, I, I think I'm going to look at this more as how is it as a found footage film rather than how is it, does it rank as a remake? Yeah. Um, because right, it doesn't really add anything much new to it, but the it's full of terrifying sequences. Um, this is one where I feel like I'm a character in the movie because we're the camera. Yeah. The, they're running around this apartment building and you're running around with them as well. These zombies or, or raged you know, people are running towards you. And at one point they're using the camera as a weapon, just bashing this lady on the face with it. Yeah, that was. And new. it doesn't. It, I think it helps that the guy holding the camera in this film, his name is Scott. So whenever they're yelling Scott, it's over here. Yeah. And the camera guy runs, and that that's me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's a it's shown it's a frantic pace as well. I think there's about ten minutes of us getting kind of to get know these firefighters and her. Um, they're all kind of loose. They're having some fun with each other, and and then after that, it it jumps in and it's. Uh, it feels like it's a living nightmare, yeah. I feel like, um, because it's a first-person thing. You're looking around the corner. Something's running towards you. Um, you're running upstairs, downstairs. There's shit happening every, everywhere. And uh, I find it a really entertaining film. Yeah. You're right. It's It doesn't really say anywhere or say, hey, yeah, we're remaking this film wreck and uh, we're fans of it or, or anything. But, um, I mean, clearly they were fans because they shot everything. There's so many shots that are exactly the same. Yeah. There is one interesting difference, and I think it might just be because of where the movie's from. When they get up into the attic room in Wreck, there's all this information about, you know, uh, demonic possession and spiritual, like, the virus is actually somehow mixed in with demons and possession. And whereas mm-hmm. this one's more like an apocalyptic rabies virus somebody has created. Yeah. They didn't tap into sort of the religious paranoia that's much more fervent in the European market than it is in the American one these days. Or so yeah, I guess we I think, like to tell ourselves. <laughs> and the American fears are more that way as far as uh, this doomsday virus or people with these biological weapons. Um, and, and I do like how they do... I didn't mind the change there, actually, because I... It's it's kind of a subtle change, and there's posters, there's newspaper clippings, there's things on the wall, and the camera kind of goes over it. You get pieces of it, yeah. and you're not going to get everything spelled out. Oh, this is why this is happening, because yeah. you're not going to have time to figure that out in real life if this is happening, because these guys are banging at your door. There's crazy things happening. Um, it's nice to just get little pieces of maybe this is tied to it. What's this? This is interesting. What's this little guy up in the attic? And um, I have lots of complimentary things to say, Scott. Like, uh, here's something you'll like to hear. It has almost Texas Chainsaw massacre levels of, like, shrillness and craziness with the experiential horror that is highly effective. Like, I believe that Jennifer Carpenter's starting to lose her mind by the end of this movie. She's just gone so hysterical. It's not an easy thing to pull off. I think she does a good job with it. Like, it's it's a plus for the movie. Um, the the sequence is like on the stairwell with that amazing body stunt that the woman falls and bounces off the banister and hits the bottom all in one shot really amazing that uh, the fireman hitting the floor is always a shocking moment and him trying to walk on oh, and that, walking on walking on his broken leg yeah 
But the funny thing is, or the woman chained to the banister when the zombies come running out and she has nowhere to go and she just has to stand there and take it. Shrill and horrifying. I, uh, these are all compliments to the movie, but I could be talking about Wreck. Like, anything yeah. good that I'm saying about quarantine, it's really just me, like, it, it is. It, like, you're right in me saying that not liking quarantine would be like saying I didn't like a photocopy of a picture. Like, it's that similar to the first movie. <laughs> <clears throat> it's not that I don't like it, it's just that it's, it, it seems a little bit unnecessary. If someone was to ask me which one I prefer, I would definitely say I do prefer Wreck, but I think there's something to be said that I saw that one first. I think you could be right about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I might tell someone, well, watch Wreck. And I'll say, well, I don't like reading movies. And I say, okay, fine, watch Quarantine then. And yeah. you'll kind of get the similar meal. Well, and then the combination of the subtitles and the shaky cam can be, you no, know. It's, yeah. You're, you're I mean, it, a lot. At, at least, you know, the, the last half of it, there's not a lot of dialogue, but uh, you don't need a subtitle for screaming, which oh, yeah. there's a lot of. It is like, and I bet you if it was in still in, you know, Spanish or whatever, and we didn't have the subtitles through context, we would totally understand everything that was happening. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think the... It the... reminds me of, it reminds me of one more difference with the film when, she, when they're in that attic room and you're getting little clues as far as, you know, what started this and there's all those rats in cages as well and they find a tape recorder mm-hmm. and they also find a tape recorder in rec. And when they play it, it gives you a little bit more information about what's been happening. And so in quarantine, they find the tape recorder, and one difference is they play it, you can't hear and it's just gobbledygook, or it's played at low speed, and you can't understand any of it, which I actually I thought that was kind of cool, because we don't need any more information. This is like even weirder, because it's just... <laughs> yeah. And, uh, of course, the infamous Thin Man in the room, uh, once again, the same actor, his name is escaping at the moment, always works with Guillermo del Toro. Uh, is it, uh, Doug, Doug Jones? Is Doug it? Jones, thank you, uh, did the job yeah. here. Uh, the, both of these actors, same as the guy who did the original movie, who's body doubled for things like Mama and uh, the Leper in the, the It franchise, these crazy, super slender guys that get jobs doing these creatures. It's, uh, I mean, double-edged sword, it seems like a really sweet gig, but I imagine it's not an easy thing to do, the amount of time that you spend stuck in the makeup chair to, to relative to the screen time that you get is pretty thankless a lot of the time. Yeah, and you're right, yet he's somehow he's the, the most famous skinny monster guy. Yeah. That, we need a skinny monster for this film. Well, let's call this guy, he's really good. <laughs> There's two of them in the world. Is Doug Jones available? <laughs> yeah, here we go. Um, again, so it's it's similar when I'm talking about paranormal activity too. Like I feel like I don't know what to say about quarantine. It's just an echo chamber of what I've already said. It works completely fine, but it's it's not of its own merit. It's completely standing on the success of a previous film. But I did enjoy watching it. It's a it's a fun zombie yeah. movie. If I wanted to watch a fun zombie movie, that this is another one. But like I say, on a given day, if I'm going to watch Wreck or Quarantine and I, it, I think it, there's a bit of a budget difference with quarantine as well. Oh, for it sure. Looks, I mean, there's uh, it's a bit more polished, but um, higher def camera and a real set instead of a real apartment building. So there, you know, it just looks and feels a little different because of that. I got this one. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> She's just looking at it. <laughs> this is my theory, though, is that it's like a muscle. Watch this. Dude, holy crap! 
That's why I think we're getting stronger, you know? It's... She thinks it's stolen. She has no she idea. Stolen. Yes, it was the black guy this time. He's <laughs> working it out. There's nothing stopping us. <laughs> Where are you going? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, that's just so weird. What the hell is this guy's problem? Was it an accident, Andrew? Andrew? I'm worried about Andrew. Listen to me. We can't screw Wait, around with this. We... It's too this dangerous. Andrew, it's Wait, not a game. Andrew! Stop this right now! So, uh, about a year or so ago, everybody was getting super excited about a movie called Brightburn. And, like, here's the concept, you guys. It's basically a superhero origin story, only instead of the guy being Superman, he's a super villain. And everybody got super excited about it. Let's watch Brightburn. It's going to be great. And when it came out, everybody was sort of vaguely disappointed. And I kind of felt myself one of them. But I was also the one guy saying, hey, everybody. Did, did, did we forget Chronicle? Yeah. Did we forget that Chronicle happened? Because here's the thing, whenever people talk about Josh Trank, it's the big debacle of his Fantastic Four movie and him self-sabotaging his own career, losing his job making a new Star Wars movie over it and possibly never making a movie again in Hollywood. He got the gig for Fantastic Four on the strength of Chronicle, and I get it. It was a low-budget found footage movie that absolutely, on every single aspect, worked for me. Like, um, what I think the most exciting part about Chronicle, but beyond it being a found footage supervillain movie, which is essentially what we what we end up having here, is the energy and fun. The the enthusiasm is so infectious in these kids there's uh, something falls out of the sky they go to investigate it and by encountering this thing they get supercharged and they are powerful invulnerable they have psychokinetic powers they're figuring out what all of these powers are and they're giddy and they're laughing and they just can't <laughs> believe their good fortune and for a good portion of the movie you're right there with them you like what's like you you like it and slowly this worm starts to turn in your stomach as you see things starting to inevitably go bad. Yeah, I think Chronicle, a turn. Yeah, Chronicle, I think, is an uncommonly good found footage movie, but an uncommonly good movie, period. In an age where superhero movies have oversaturated the market and it's just hard to get interested in another one, if you watch one superhero movie, watch fucking Chronicle, as far as I'm concerned. It's not based on any pre-existing like, material, and it's super fun and super exciting. So here's me finally having something nice to say about one of the movies this episode, brother. Uh, am, I, am I off base? No, you're right on base, and uh, I enjoy this film too. Um, it's it's funny because I went into it not really expecting this to be a superhero type film, and it, it kind of is and it kind of isn't, um, because they're they're kids. They at no point when they develop these powers think about being superheroes. They use these powers to pull pranks. Yep. And to, you know to see how far they can throw a football and uh, you know and you know mess with each other and and uh, you know mostly harmless pranks. It starts off with anyways, and that's really kids these age that's what they would probably go and do 
no one at no point do they say, hey, you know what? Let's go save the world and uh, let's protect the innocent. It's it, it's not like that at all. Let's have a good um, time. Yep. Yeah. And and until one character who's got a rough home life and he's tired of being beaten down, he starts realizing he's getting stronger, and uh, and you feel this darkness rising in him. And I really like where this film goes. Yeah. The thing I love about it is I was I found myself very surprised to where it actually went. Usually found footage movies are a little bit, they're, they're smaller scale, and you don't usually get a whole bunch of special effects. I mean, there's a lot in, in quarantine, but often you'll see what the camera wants you to see, and that's about it. Uh, the scale that this film went to in its final act, though, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised. I, you know, there's uh, they're throwing vehicles at each other, and uh, yeah. you know, buildings are smashing. We get some great effects in this film. It's uh, I did not see it coming the first time I watched that. And they reserved with it at first. It starts with them, you know, the guy throws a baseball at his friend, and he stops it psychically with his mind. Yeah, it's a cool effect, but it comparatively small. Too right, this city-wise super fight that happens at the end of the movie. I, not too long ago, reviewed for the podcast, I guess about a year ago now, Akira, which seems like a strange thing to bring up in here, but in that movie you have this kid who gets corrupted by this amazing power. It gives him all this psychic ability, and he's not able to handle it, and he ends up in that movie basically destroying the world. <clears throat> in this movie, he largely just destroys himself, but... The character played by Dane DeHaan is one of those, it's one of those richly balanced performances in that he does bad things. He does actually full on become a villain, but you're on side with him for so long and you understand where these feelings are coming from and why he's making these bad decisions that you can like him for almost longer into the movie than you really should. <laughs> you feel for him because you know he has that one day yeah. You know, everything's going good, and the school's applauding for him at the talent show, and he's on top of the world, and it's and you start to feel like good for this guy for getting a win. Yeah. And it's shortly right after that where everything turns down and it goes down and hits hard, and you're and you're feeling like, oh shit, man, everything was going so well, and yeah, yeah I agree with you. And yeah, the idea of like this would be the worst possible time in your life to get handed un godly powers right like for me as a father of two boys this is the scariest time like i'm about to have two teenage boys tristan's gonna turn 13 in the fall if you can believe that but like uh there is an age i think it's usually somewhere in ballpark between like 15 and 25 where consciously or not i think we believe ourselves immortal beings <laughs> like the idea of genuine consequences or, you know, getting mm -hmm. seriously old or the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything's just hilarious. Everything is, you know, whatever. Everything's a party and everything is just a good old time. And it, it is. It's like, the, the, I, I, to bring it back to Spider-Man, like, that superpower went to the absolute right kid. But what if the super spider bit the wrong kid? Either the bully yeah. of the class yeah. or the kid that had been so badly bullied that it had soured him fundamentally. Then what kind of hero do we have? That's an interesting uh, way to go, I think. And I just love the effects. Like you say, the, the scene where he causes a car accident literally by waving his hand and the front end of the truck behind them just caves in and it swerves to the right and, like, it's this catastrophic accident that, like... 
is <laughs> shocking. <laughs> One thing I noticed that, that's different with this film, um, with the found footage perspective, is you do get some bigger shots because of the way you're not stuck to his video camera. Yeah. Um, he has the ability to now levitate his video camera to follow him around. He's documenting so himself. Yeah. Yeah, so now it's not always his perspective. You have him, your main character, in the shot now. And you have a bit more sweeping. You know, you have some security cam footage. Um, other people, it looks like a police car, dash cams, and that kind of thing at the final. I mean, there are, there are a few times where the shot looks a bit too cinematic, I find. Right. If you're gonna, but you're sort of caught up in all the action at that point, you, you let it go. But um, this, there's a few times in this one where I wonder, like, why would they be filming this, perhaps? Or uh, it's kind of convenient that they meet this other girl who loves to Film. video blog her whole life. Yeah. So it's kind of convenient that she has a camera from a different angle now. and. Such is the crutches of the found footage genre. And if that's something that's going to bother you, it is going to bother you. This is a found footage movie. And I think <clears throat> the biggest stretch is, you're right, him doing the self-document. That basically gives them a free pass to put a camera wherever they want there to be a camera to a certain degree for some of these climactic scenes, which helps them for their spectacle, but it costs them a little bit in the credibility department. You're right. <clears throat> but by that point... I liked the movie enough that I was willing to give it a pass. And it wasn't like, who's filming this? He just, like, he's psychically filming himself. But when you say it out yeah. loud, that sounds really stupid, doesn't it? <laughs> but if you, there's one scene where I noticed going back, if you pay attention, when he goes in to rob the convenience store, after he's kind of had enough of being put down, he needs to get money for his mom's medication. Uh, if you look in the security cam footage of him robbing the store, you can see his video camera is floating behind him. Yep. So that's, it does show that they're, they're thinking about it. They account there for it. There was one moment specifically where I wondered, okay, they wouldn't still be filming anymore. And that's when the, the, the girl, I can't remember her name, the female character that they befriend. Yeah. She's in the car at the top of the, the space needle and it starts falling down. Why would she still be recording this while she's falling to her death? Right. Well, and why record the murdering of your buddy? <laughs> why record the murdering of your buddy in the sky? Like, well, <laughs> what benefit is that to you? I mean, not that you're arrestable, I guess. Maybe that was the idea. And there's another scene where uh, they're fighting in the sky and they're surrounded by a bunch of cameras and cell phones. And um, so that's able to be the reason we're getting this magnificent shot of them up there. And uh, it, it all works, though. And I think it's... Uh, I think it's a dynamite movie. I'm sad in a way for Josh Trank. I don't know if it was ego or if it was drugs or if it was both or if, like, the studio genuinely fucked him over on that Fantastic Four movie. But, like, I, I, I saw a lot of potential in this movie and I was like, let's see where this goes for him. And it's so far been a really tragic story. But who knows, maybe someday he'll be able to put something together or somebody will dust him off and he'll, you know, come back to something like this. <clears throat> It's one of those movies that was just such a surprise to me. Yeah. As much as I'm a defender of found footage, um, I was kind of agreeing with people. It was like, I'm not excited about superhero movies and I'm not excited about found footage movies right now. So the idea of a found footage superhero movie is not exactly lighting up my imagination. But it is so much better than that premise would suggest. And it's pretty easy on the viewer as well. It's it's not a one of those really shaky, running through the woods kind of found footage films. Yeah, it's not too hectic. For the either. most, 
for the most part, he's able to keep the cameras steady. And uh, like I said, bigger shots when he's levitating the camera above him. It doesn't feel like a cheap found footage movie either. Like, that's not always a bad thing, but sometimes you can really feel the low budget. This does feel like you get your money's worth for spectacle. Yeah, and, and like I said, I, I thought it was going to be smaller scale when we started out. Yeah. And uh, as it got bigger and bigger, I was kind of nodding, saying, all right, wow, this is I think surprising a, me. a case could be made that, like, the trajectory of the story becomes pretty obvious pretty quickly. But I was yeah. ne- I was never not on board. Even though I knew it was going, I was like, oh, no, that's unfortunate. But let's see how this plays out. So they had me. Good enough? We're, yep, I think so. Did you hear that? So I really like the original VHS movie, but as I mentioned, I think in the introduction to it, my problem with it, I guess, was it was just in a way too much of a good thing. VHS 2, I think, is the rare sequel that in many ways is just a better all-around experience than the first movie. I would make the case that the two scariest movies from the VHS, or, or isolated stories from the VHS franchise came from the first VHS movie, but beat for beat, story for story, shot for shot, the best movie of the VHS franchise is part two, is the movie that we're about to talk to. The weakest thing I think about it is mainly the, is the wraparound story is not that interesting, but for me, the stories, each one of them by themselves are really strong. If I said that my least favorite story was the, uh, Phase 1 Trials, the guy with the fake eyeball that can see dead people, that would not me be suggesting that that was a weak story in any way, shape, or form. That's just me saying, if I had to pick a least favorite, that was my least favorite. That's the, the favorable, lucky position I find myself in with this anthology film. Especially when you have a lot of different directors at work, I find that the consistency story to story can be super wonky. But even though they were different in tone and in approach and in subject, they were equally real fun to watch. I step into this an enthusiastic supporter of VHS 2. Where does Scott land? Similar. Yeah, you're right. With anthologies, it's, it's going to be uneven. You're going to always have your favorite story, and then your second favorite, and then one that you didn't really like as much. Right. Um, for me, uh, was it the, the first story with the, the, the eyeball? Yeah. That, that one was, for me, I wasn't a big fan of that one. Like, I probably, I, I didn't like it a lot. Um, right. It was a, one of the weaker ones I found. I, I didn't, wasn't as enthusiastic as, as you were about it. Um, well, but like I said, really that was my up. least favorite. <laughs> right. I mean, whereas maybe it was your least favorite, whereas I actually maybe... Didn't like it. Uh, didn't even like it, really. But right. it definitely picked up after that for me. 
Um, we, we get to see a zombie's point of view short, yep. which I thought was a lot of fun. Yeah, from the director of the Blair Witch Project and a really good Bigfoot found footage movie called Exists, Eduardo Sanchez. A lot of fun. Yep. You get to see the guy go from human to zombie to impaled zombie to run over zombie, like the barbecued zombie. He really goes through a lot of shit, this poor guy. <laughs> and this is this is from a guy who uh, starts off, he's riding a bike with a GoPro on his, on his helmet, right? Yeah. And it takes about two minutes and then he's bitten by a zombie and we just go from there. Um, there's not a lot of time wasted with that that film, so if you like that kind of stuff, you get to see what it would look like to be a camera on a zombie's head. Yeah, and, and uh, it's a great idea for uh, the VHS format because I don't think it would sustain a feature length, but it no. does really work well as a short, so it was a yes. good choice. And it's, uh, I think there's some kind of chuckles with it as well. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. It's, takes, it's a little bit, it's a lot lighter than, uh, you know, it's not trying to pass us off as real, like Paranormal Activity or, no. or The Bay. Um, this is just saying, no, this is just for fun. Um, and then I think personally we get after that into the strongest film. Um, <laughs> the Cult? The, the Safe Haven. Oh. <laughs> Gareth the, the third Evans, story. Uh, I believe, is that the guy's name? Directed that one. He did, um, I hope I got that name right. He did the Raid franchise. Yeah. And man, that guy can direct violence like nobody's fucking business. And the way the tension in this, 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 this crew of journalists have a bunch of like tiny cameras embedded in the buttons of their shirt so they can infiltrate this cult and expose them for all the terrible shenanigans that they're getting up to. Unfortunately, they happen to get in there like ground zero of this really crazy ritual going down. And the way things continue to escalate beyond the point, like as every time you think that it's topped to the point that it's like couldn't get any crazier, it fucking doubles down and gets crazier. Like it's oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> they throw absolutely everything they got at you around every corner. There's something new that that's even crazier and more intense than what was around the previous one. Yeah. And even before the shit hits the fan, it's kind of, uh, it's really, there's a kind of this eeriness of about, about this cult and what's going on with these children. And, uh, that, I mean, it's a bit of a longer segment too. Whereas the, uh, the zombie one was brisk uh, enough. Uh, Concise. the first one was a little bit shorter. Yeah. I believe that this third story runs about 40 minutes. Oh, is it that long? Hmm. I feel I'm not sure if it's a half hour or or, or over, but um, they do take some time with that, and uh, they they put together a pretty thrilling little uh, wow. story there. Well, it's just so intense. Like, and again, the, we've we've seen him use some of these same actors in the Raid movies. I, I don't know if you've had a chance to check out the Raid movies. The Raid? Um, no, I haven't seen. I know of them, but I haven't seen them. I think you would enjoy. I mean, I know you're more of a horror guy than an action movie guy. But in those movies, when you walk away from them, you feel beat up. Like, the violence oh, yeah. in them are so fucking visceral. And that comes across here. I'm sure you would agree. The last segment, oh, yeah. uh, which is uh, a slumber party aliens what is it, attack. A lot yeah, of slumber it, party alien invasions. Yeah. A lot of it is actually shown from a camera mounted on the back of a dog. And it's, you know, appropriately crazy from the guy who directed Hobo with a Shotgun. One of the craziest movies I've ever had the pleasure to review on this podcast. Oh, yeah. 
But as absurd as the premise is, they're really good at making you like these bratty kids really quickly. And the creatures, as strange as they are and as artificial as their appearances seem to be constructed, are effectively creepy to me. I don't know, like, it somehow manages to walk this line of being both ridiculous and frightening at the same time which I have to just compliment. <laughs> like, I wouldn't know how to begin to pull that shit off. And by strapping the camera to the dog, yeah. get rid of that question, why would you still be filming this? Oh, yeah. The dog doesn't know he's shooting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the camera's on record, and the dog's running away from these guys just like you are. Yeah. At first, the dog's barking at the aliens, but it was a neat idea. At the bottom of the frame is all furry, and you see the dog's ears because it's mm-hmm. the dog's point of view. Yeah. So... Um, for those people that can't don't like found footage films because they're saying, well, why would they still be recording this? Put the camera down and run. Yeah. Well, they got rid of that there. That is the classic um, argument about found footage movies. And I like to say, well, <clears throat> is that what you really want to happen for the movie? For the camera to be turned off and for the credits to roll? Like it might be a, like, quote, fake or a weird construct of the movie that they put the camera down but leave it running or they 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 continue their conversation even though the camera's still rolling like there is some weird artificial stuff that would happen but the alternative is that the movie ends right (laughs) so i don't know yeah and then you have to visit the website to see the rest yeah yeah and i don't think that's something that we would respect as a choice for the ending of a movie one thing that this movie is guilty of that I have to call when I see it because it happens too regularly in these fucking movies. <laughs> there is a character. His name is Larry. And he is a dickhead <laughs> and a sleazebag. And nobody likes him. And they're constantly like, fuck you, Larry. They somehow have to punctuate it with Larry all the time. And it fucking <laughs> it was, hurts my feelings. Yeah, this was coming. <laughs> well, it's coming, goddammit. <laughs> I was surprised with the end of the alien short, the final shot that you see. Yeah. With you know the dog what being I'm talking about? Out of the sky, you mean? Uh, when, well, something bad happens to uh, the cute little animal that's carrying the camera. <laughs> yeah. We're seeing that on the screen. I, I was like, oh, Aww. no. <laughs> you fuckers. You don't hurt the puppy. <laughs> no. No. You can, like, kill six teenagers, fine. I don't care about that. It's true. It always hurts when they kill a dog, and that's why those yeah, motherfuckers, weird, eh? they always kill th- the dogs. I think I found, however, um, just maybe because of the order that the stories were put in, by the time that fourth one came, after what you've just been through with, uh, Safe, Haven. with Safe Haven, yeah, um, the fourth story is a lot of running, just running away from these aliens and yelling, and the camera starts... It's really shaky camera, kind of found footage segment. Right. And if those bother you, um, maybe by the third segment you might be a bit worn out of that. I think the third segment was a climax for me, and then the fourth, it was there's fun, so there's definitely some fun with it. Yeah. Um, but it felt like at the end of it, it was just a lot of noise and a lot of running and bouncy camera movement. To a degree, I will agree with you. Definitely, the last story has the most shaky cam to it of any of them like it's the most guilty of it um and it doesn't top safe haven i i agree with you there but i would still think say like where i started that i think beat for beat all these stories they're consistently stronger like there was dips in the first vhs movie for me uh in quality 
even in that first story, which I agree is, is problematic, there was interesting stuff in there. Like, why did the ghosts not like it when they had sex? It was <laughs> like, in order to get rid of the ghosts, we had to have some gratuitous titty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, I weirdly thought about that because they're dead and because they're not connected to life. Maybe like seeing people make love would be repellent to them because it like that so far from what they have or what they could be or something. I don't know. There was an idea there and we got to see some boobies. Um, and, and because it's short. Yeah, you're right. There's questions and it doesn't really answer everything. Yeah. Whereas why are the aliens attacking? Well, it's because the aliens are attacking. The okay, aliens, good enough. Run away. That's what they yeah, do. Good enough. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the first one, yeah, there were some questions. Why is this? Or Yeah. Also, unfortunately, in the first VHS movie, this weird, uh, I think, accidental sub-theme of misogyny kind of cropped up in almost every story. There were guys just being absolutely evil towards women or some theme about that. And I don't know if they, they, they you know, stacked the deck or they coordinated a little bit better on this one, but no sub-theme of misogyny or, or, or ugliness sort of bubbled to the surface in this one. I had a lot of fun with it, and uh, again, it, because it was a sequel, and because, in a way, I, I love the highlight reel, reel of VHS, but I mainly like love what VHS wanted to be. VHS 2, to me, sort of felt like the fruition of that concept. Yeah, it's it's a fun film, kind of. Uh, it's an easy meal. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about it before, as far as anthology films um, and found footage films, especially having a shorter running time. I think that maybe hurt VHS by being a little bit lengthy. Yeah. Um, I, I feel that the anthology should be, at best, four stories in the wraparound. Yeah. And uh, keep it tight, because if you're gonna if you're gonna have too many, you're gonna have some that are maybe too short or too long, or not fully realized, but. Uh, I think the balance is right here. For me, like the wheels come off a little bit for VHS viral, and the, the wheels are sort of shaky in VHS one. We get this nice sweet spot here in, in the middle part, I find. So uh, I don't know if it's coming across, but I'm fine. It's also just the way you feel going into movies. Like it's one of these movies that, that maybe shouldn't be as good as it is, <laughs> you know? Here's it's, a, it's kind of a fun time. Yeah. I enjoyed it. And then there's some definite good, uh, if you like the red stuff, it's got some really good red stuff too. They do not spare the red in any way, shape, or form. They don't believe, they. that's the one thing I saw the interview with the guys who did the Safe Haven one, and like uh, the raid movies, which they are incredibly violent, I guess were really heavily edited. I'm horrified to think what the unedited version of those movies must be like, <laughs> good God. But like they said that they really appreciated that when they got on board with VHS 2, they were given complete creative control. Like I said, we'll, we'll let you know if you've gone too far, but at no point are we going to say, you know, don't shoot it, right? <laughs> so like the gloves came off for that movie and yeah, it's a... Yeah, Safe Haven definitely is the one I would wave the flag for. Some people react strangely negatively to it for some reason. I, I don't know if it's too intense or it gets almost too crazy, at, like, towards the very, very end of it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I had a guilty, perhaps, at times, but I had a smile on my face through this whole thing, you know? You want to see a guy eat his own eyeball, and the eyeball's a camera, so we get a real interesting vantage on it? You're gonna see that, you know? You want to see a zombie get run over by a car from first person perspective? You're gonna see that. You want to see... 
an alien invasion from the point of view of a dog? <laughs> You're going to see that. <laughs> How about a Jonestown type massacre to start off a series of horrifying events? Because you're going to see that and in a tight 91 minutes. Yeah, I give this one a recommend. Good morning, Marilyn. I am in Claridge, the host of our annual July 4th party. Oh my god. This is the CDC. We're in the middle of some kind of viral outbreak. It's eating their organs, intestines, liver, it goes for kidneys. There's something wrong with the water. This stuff has chemical steroid in it. Hey, we got a situation over the 911 call center, and the system's about to go down. We're just overloaded with calls. Stephanie, you're not answering your phone. I do not want you to get off that boat. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. I know they shut down all the roads going into Clarity. Now I'm flying over the water here, and, uh, well, there's just dead fish everywhere. That's so big, I don't think he fits in this boat. <laughs> you ever seen anything like that? Never seen nothing like what that. What is, is that? Son of a... You don't just shut down the eastern seaboard without approval from a higher authority. As you can see here, we have these parasites. Oh my god. Isopods eating right through the fish's tongue. There's something really wrong. Help me. It's eating them from the inside. Dispatch. There's bodies everywhere. Do you hear that? What are you doing? Look at him. Don't look at me. What are you doing? Down by the bay where the watermelon grows. <laughs> Back to my home. By, by Michael Bay. <laughs> yes. Um, Barry Levinson, man. What an interesting director. I mean, say what you will, he doesn't repeat himself. I haven't loved all of his movies. In fact, uh, you you can hear me take a nice hot wet shit all over the sci-fi movie Sphere that he did in, <laughs> in an earlier episode. But he also did amazing movies like Wag the Dog and, and Good Morning Vietnam. And like, he's he's interesting. And I would have never imagined that he would do a found footage eco horror movie. <laughs> and I yeah, you didn't see that coming, did you? No, uh, let alone one that is so good. I mean, for me, this movie is like almost a pseudo documentary in that this catastrophe happened on the Chesapeake Bay to this small community, and clearly some time has passed. And whoever made this movie in the context of the story has assembled footage from either security cameras or telephones or personal home videos of people who were taking uh, at this carnival when when the shit properly hit the fan. But it's a completely natural disaster, and. Uh, by that accounts, the story about like the combination of the the effluent and the the, the um, sewage from a, a wood processing plant and this chicken plant, which had a bunch of chicken shit loaded with steroids blowing into this into the bay, effectively destroyed about forty percent of the natural life in the bay over the course of time. All of that story that we get subjected to in this is actually 100% factual. Down to the chicken shit and the, and the specifics of the steroids and everything that. The bugs in the water is the shit that they made up. Yeah. But there's so much reality to it that the unreality is chillingly believable. 
and over and above being believable is so viscerally disgusting. Instead of these being microbes, these tiny things that we can't see and that are easy to ignore, they bulk out and hulk out into these slimy things that get inside you and slowly hollow you out and eat you alive from the inside. And, of course, there's a government conspiracy trying to keep things quiet. And, of course, the medical personnel who don't know what they're dealing with are helpless to deal with the hundreds and hundreds of people who are getting legs amputated. And just the slow, terrifying escalation of everything that's going on. It, it really, really does get me chewing my nails. And it really does jump up and down on my gag reflex like a trampoline. I find this movie disgusting <laughs> like like i want to take i want to take a shower you say that with this a smile do you say that with this do you say that with a smile that it made you find it disgusting or are you upset about how disgusted it makes well you? no i mean it's upsettingly disgusting but appropriately disgusting <laughs> it is a fucking horror movie it's a fucking really strong really disturbing chillingly kind of quasi-believable horror movie mm. and uh like i there's a few safety nets i recognize that one actress from cabin in the woods to, to give me like okay this is still a hollywood movie it's not a for real documentary but there's something terribly credible about every isolated thing the two teenagers that go for a swim off a dock and shit goes badly i believe it that little terrified girl documenting on her phone her experience in the in the emergency room of the hospital, I believe it. Yeah. That desperate doctor talking to the CDC and getting increasingly furious and frustrated with them, I completely fucking believe it. In fact, other than the actual close-up monster move, like when a monster jumps a, out of a hole in some guy's neck, there's very few things in the movie that I don't completely find credible. So uh, I think it's coming across. I really like the bay, but here's the but. It's not one that I would revisit a lot because of how upsetting I actually find it. That's not oh, yeah. a strike against it necessarily. I think actually points for really getting under my skin, but I am very, very impressed with the bay. Where do you land? Uh, it's the same thing. It's... Um... It's done very differently from the other films. Um, it doesn't really tell a, a story in the same traditional sense as far as, like, okay, this is our main character and this is what's happening. There's no real main character in this film other than perhaps the the girl who's doing the newscast that's put the footage together, I suppose. Yeah. But it's not really about her even. She's covering this story, but... Uh, she's um, she's like a main me. character by the nature that we stay actually with her through the whole arc of the story, not because... The it, like narratively, she's the main character. It's just one of the few characters who make it from A to C. So I guess you could yeah. call her a protagonist in sorts. Yeah, and and we don't really have a, you know, there's not a, a pro or an antagonist or to this. It's just this whole thing that's happening, and this is the the story that they put together with all the the footage, the police cam footage. Um, everything put together Skype conversations and everything and it's uh, it's put together really well and uh, my wife came down when shortly after we're starting and she said oh what are you watching is this a movie because she didn't know it was a movie at first because right. it doesn't look like a movie it looks like a it looks like a documentary it's done well that way 
And she sat down, and I said, no, it is a movie. And, and she sat down. I expected her to not stay very long because it does get icky. But uh, she stuck it through, and she really enjoyed this film. And this is not her kind of film. No, it is not. <laughs> that really surprises and pleases me. Surprising horror depths to Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out for, for that. I mean, when that uh, they're on the boat, and one of those little bugs crawls out of uh, the fish oh. <laughs> onto his arm. She let out this shriek and <laughs> jumped in her seat, but but she stayed. And uh, there's this positively there's... Ch- chilling shot they keep going back to this woman laying in an inner tube, and at first it just looks like a tourist laying in an inner tube, and then they get closer to her, and like her skin's too red, like she's been cooking in the sun, and then they get a little bit closer, and one of those bugs just erupts out of a hole in her leg, and she doesn't even twitch, and it's just awful, Scott. (laughs) Yeah, and it it does have that kind of real feel. There's a couple, you know, a couple actresses that you recognize, maybe, um, like the newscaster girl, she's in this other show, uh, You're the Worst, which... She plays a very different character, so that a little bit took me out. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that her way. Now. But uh, um, but other than that, um, yeah, you feel like you're watching this shit unfold and government cover-ups and everything like that. I, I guess one of the things that we connect to, as far as like a quote main character, is this couple that with have a newborn baby. And they're traveling by a boat to see her parents. And because they're not coming in through a regular channel, road channel or whatever, they, like, it was harder for the powers that be to shut them off from the town. So when they arrive at what's supposed to be this big celebration late at night, they see a bunch of dead animals floating in the water. The pier is completely abandoned. And the further they walk into town, the more dead bodies laying in the street they discover. Yeah. And just, yeah, the dead bodies just littering the streets is a strong visual. It's a hard thing to look at, again, in the time that we're living through right now. Like, um, <laughs> the and just their reaction to it. And then they go to call the cells, and then the powers that be aren't there. And it's really conspicuous that their cell phones won't work. You know, like, what is fucking happening? And, you know, there's something just terrifying of the idea of finding yourself in a catastrophe and having nobody to call for help like the powers that be aren't there the police aren't there the government isn't there you know these bodies are laying out in the street in the sun and there's nobody doing anything about it that alone is creepy and then you add these fucking gross parasites on top of it but it's the stunning credibility, and I credit the, quote, found footage approach. You're right in that it's a different approach in that we have security footage, we have telephone, like like somebody filming themselves on their phone, and some people just taking personal video of their vacations, and we jump all over the place. But the movie never loses us, and I don't remember any point of saying, where is this angle coming from, or thinking, that's not no. credible. At, not once. And, like, as much as I complain about people saying that's fake in found footage movies, I look for shit like that. I've talked about this found footage movie, The Pyramid, that starts out as a found footage movie. And the deeper you get into the movie, they just abandon the found footage constraints, and all of a sudden it just becomes a straight horror. That bothers me. Pick a lane. This movie doesn't cheat. And that keeps it so credible. (laughs) 
it feels like a news broadcast or like a, a, a fringe underground documentary that someone released online to get this truth out to the people. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's why my wife liked it as well, because it, it didn't have your, you know, your jump, jumpy cuts and mad running and screaming. And it, it was put together really well. And it's, it does flow. As, yeah, it's not a traditional story, but it, it does flow. I mean, it's all told chronologically. Yeah. We'll see a little bit of, about this, this family, and then we'll see this family. But then we're going to you know, keep you up to date with everybody, what's been happening. And uh, you know, a scene that really kind of gave me goosebumps is uh, when the police go into that house, and they're all laying on the floor, and they're, they're, you don't see any of it, but you hear the voices from outside, and then they're, they're begging, shoot me, shoot, shoot me. me. Because they've seen what's that happening one, to their friends and family. Yeah, that's that's the stuff I found chilling. It's 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 relatable, and found footage gets you there. I mean, I, I'm sure this would they they could have taken a clean cinematic approach to the story and still made a really scary movie, but there's something about the approach that makes it really really credible. And uh, like, yeah, I think that's it benefited the style to shoot it this way. Whereas maybe uh, Chronicle didn't necessarily need to be a found footage film. They could have shot that traditionally and told the same story. That would have still worked. This yeah. one, I think you you had to film it this way. It added just this layer of credibility. Like, you can't escape it. And um, yeah, oh, the and same idea. They did have a script here, but they also had leeway with the actors, you know? Like, react. When you see a body, react to how you think you would react to seeing that body. So they had plot to push, but they also had to sell us credibly their reaction to this this, this terrible situation. Mm -hmm. um, again, I endorse this movie, but I think, like, my minor trigger warning for people, like, it is one of the squishier, more gross creature features. I love that it comes from such a prestige Oscar-winning director, and I love how gloves off he is about this horror. Like, <laughs> a lot of really serious, quote, filmmakers kind of feel like they're slumming it when they break down and do a ghost story or something like this. Like, there's some stink yeah. on genre. I get the feeling like Levison knows that he's grossing us out really bad, and he loves it <laughs> he loves it I also think the idea of an eco horror film is not only good but like something that should be done um, people will pay more attention to a message in a horror movie than the most credibly made documentary and it, yeah. going back to what you were saying about your wife and how she enjoys documentaries and crime documentaries horror movies get a rap for being exploitive of like violence and crime and victims and stuff like that True crime documentaries are, in their own way, especially if they're tactlessly handled, every bit as exploitive as any horror movie can be. In a weird way, I think that these true crime shows feed the same demon that horror movies feed, but people who don't like horror movies will really, like, get into the, you know, <laughs> confession tapes of Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy or something like this. It's interesting. Um, I can't yeah. say enough good things about the Bay, so I guess I'll just stop. Is there anything you wanted to say about the Bay that we haven't covered yet? Uh, no. The Bay, where the watermelons grow, back to my home. That's where we started. That's where we finished. <laughs>
Thank you so much, Scott, for doing another episode of Rank and Review. I always fucking love having you on the show. Scott and I, like, I've known him as long as I've been alive. And, I mean, we watched a lot of horror movies together back in the day. Yeah. And uh, I just love having you on the show. And uh, thank you for indulging me the found footage. I appreciate it. Nobody seems to want to do these found footage episodes for some reason. It's like no. this trial for some reason. Come on, people. Like, as much as I started off grumpy and picking on some of these movies, I actually did enjoy watching them. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah. I, I like yeah, seeing what they're going to do with the, with the approach and, and whether it helps or hinders. So there's a conversation from, to be had. From six to five, I, or sorry, six to one, I, I actually did like watching them all as well. Um, it's because my son would come in the room and every night seeing what I'm watching. Yeah. And, uh, and he'd see it's, you know, it's the found footage, forced perspective of the camera. And, and he came back the next night, you're watching another one of these? And then, you know, Three nights, four yeah. nights. He's like, Wait, are you, you're another one of these? Aren't you getting tired of this? And I said, no, not really. But after the sixth film, I I'm kind of in the mood now for uh, for something just uh, soundtrack and. It's funny you said that. I saw you. You made a post on Facebook or something about it. But then just a few hours later, you were watching Paranormal Activity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he came in there and we said, "I thought you said you were done with these." Yeah, I'm just doing one more. It's just one more. I just needed to. I needed to remind myself of the creepy greatness of paranormal activity. Yeah. What was your oh, least favorite of this bunch of found footage movies, and why? Well, after much uh, consideration, um, speaking of paranormal activity, I'm putting the sequel as uh, what I kind of. I'm putting that as number six. Paranormal, okay. Paranormal Activity 2 is the sixth movie on the list as, as the least favorite. And to me, I, I think that's a bit of an upset because I did predict The Devil Inside to take that spot um, because of how burned I felt by the ending the first time I watched it. Uh, knowing that, it, that the ending sucks, watching it again, uh, I paid more attention to some of the good that it does. And... Whereas I feel like Paranormal Activity was kind of a been there, done that, kind of whole hum sort of thing. Uh, the Devil Inside did give some more chills, and uh, so I'm, I give it one spot higher. Okay. And to, and to me, I feel that's, that's the that win. So good for you, Devil Inside, for taking a lofty fifth place. <laughs> and after that, it gets a little bit tougher for me, but um, I did like all these. VHS 2 is going to be number four. I feel like Safe Haven on its own is probably enough to bring it up to number three. Um, but I think just because the rest were not quite up to the same level, um, it brings it down to four, which I still think it's an enjoyable time. It's probably the most fun, right? maybe, of, uh, of, of these films because uh, the variety and types of stories. And, and that's where we got that. This one was a tough one for me. At number three... Uh, I'm going to put Quarantine. I wanted to put Quarantine a little bit higher just because I really do enjoy the experience of watching the film. Right. Um, but you're right. It's, it's, I couldn't put it... I just couldn't justify putting it higher, number one or number two, because it's not an original story. It's it's Wreck in English. But I think as far as making Wreck in English, they do a really good job of it. And this is one I'm going to go to again and again and, and watch it and... Uh, and have a great time with. I think it's a well done movie. It's just, it's just not its its own. Yeah. Um, I, I almost had this at number two, but the Bay was just so much more an original idea 
I feel like the Bay deserves to be that that number two movie. Um, and which leaves us at Chronicle. I, I just think Chronicle is the best of these six films. And uh, and I dare you to tell me that it is. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, uh, okay. what you're saying is you went Paranormal Activity 2, The Devil Inside, VHS, Quarantine, The Bay, and then Chronicle? That's your list? The, yeah, that's, that's my list. I mean, okay. really, I... I wanted to put Quarantine a little bit higher, but uh, just because I do think it's well-made, okay. it's a great horror film, um, but it's it's not an original idea. It's doesn't really add anything new to it, so that's why uh, The Bay and Chronicle are, are above it. Well, I want to congratulate you, brother. You've just gone zero for six on Rank and Review. <laughs> oh, my God, really? <laughs> We matched in no spots on this list, unfortunately. Um, that is unbelievable. <laughs> wow, that's tough to do, isn't it? it it's rare. It's it's almost as rare <laughs> as going six for six. You also get a prize, but it's not as good a prize usually. <laughs> for, you know, you get a prize on this show if you agree with me 100% or if you disagree with me. Like, But yeah, it, it's just all in good fun. Um, look, sure. other than maybe the top spot, because I, I'm feeling your love for Chronicle, you might be a little bit hurt by that. I don't think we're going to fight that much. Like, our list is different, but it's not so dramatically different as for us. Let's end this lifelong friendship over this found footage stack, shall we? That's <laughs> bound to happen anyway. <laughs> yeah. I put The Devil Inside in last place. Uh both The Devil Inside and Paranormal Activity 2 actually kind of improved slightly for me upon revisiting. I will give it that. But that ending is not just a fail. To me, it's kind of like a fuck you to its audience. Like, it it really, really shows disrespect for the people who paid money to watch your movie. To not even be bothered to finish telling the story. I, I find that a really egregious sin. So I think that it has to go on the bottom. Uh, it's unfortunate because yeah. the actors are playing the shit out of it and there's some isolated moments that are creepy and work. And there's a good premise here and a good story to be told. They just decided to go the other way with it, this movie. <laughs> so I 100% I agree with, with what you're saying. Yeah. And, and where you're going with that, I do agree. Um, that's probably where it belongs. I think Paranormal Activity 2 was maybe the only film of these six where I kind of, there were yawny moments I found. Right. And kind of a, a bit more ho-hum. But I completely see what, where yeah. you're going. But I do put Paranormal Activity 2 in fifth place because it does yeah. feel long at 91 minutes and because it has a couple, like, let's say four or five even genuinely good boo moments, but spread over 90 minutes, that's not really super enough. Um, it's another installment in the Paranormal Activity franchise, and I unpopularly am the guy that, that supports the franchise, warts and all. I'll take another Paranormal Activity with more enthusiasm than I will take another Saw movie, personally. That's just how I feel about them. There's something here, and it frustrates me when they drop the ball, but I, I, I have a percentage of faith. So here's hoping the new Paranormal Activity keeps the ball rolling. All the way in fourth place, I put quarantine. Sorry, buddy. Um, I think the thing is, is like I said in the review, everything good I say about quarantine, I could say about wreck. The problem isn't that it's the same story, yeah. Scott. It's that it's the same movie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. 
that's 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 not even a remake. That's like a cut and paste type of approach. I think Gus Van Sant tried that with Psycho, and everybody hated him for it. These guys got richly rewarded. At least Gus Van Sant copped to it. You, you know, this is a way better movie than that remake of Psycho, by the way. And it does work as a claustrophobic, scary, energetic zombie movie. But please watch Wreck. Watch Quarantine if you want. But definitely, definitely, definitely watch Wreck. You know what? What I could say about quarantine, a positive about it existing, was that is there's probably some people that did not know wreck was a thing yeah. over on this side of the ocean, and maybe they watch quarantine and they say, "Oh, you watched quarantine? Did you like it? Yeah. Have well, you ever seen wreck? No, I haven't. Well, you should check that out. That's the original. And all and, of a sudden, this other film that maybe wasn't as well visited is getting another look now. So and really for a series that's one thing that the remakes do. Yeah. For a series that has four entries in it, the Wreck franchise is strong, I gotta say. Like Oh yeah. Uh in third place, wrestling its position, I'm giving it to VHS two. I had a lot of fun with it. I think they like I say it upped the game from the first movie in a lot of ways. The um I I, I great variety of genre directors coming from interesting places and a uh, great variety in the stories, consistent in their, in their entertainment value. Some of them are grim, but they're all essentially kind of fun, too. Like, yeah, you watch a bunch of kids get killed and kidnapped by aliens, but it's a riot. It's a riot, Scott. <laughs> in second place is where I put Chronicle. It's, it's a tough one for me. Uh, I love... I love the energy. I love how much we connect with these kids and how like we're we're there for them. No, I love the energy and enthusiasm of these guys. I like I love how much we we get behind them and get excited for them and with them before things go wrong. That's something that a lot of horror movies miss, making us genuinely warm to those characters before things go south. It mm. didn't feel inevitable. It felt like these were good boys and maybe they could get through it. Maybe this would all work out. But no, not at all. But the movie that I will think about the next time I'm at the beach or that, like, <laughs> really sort of taps into, you know, the, the ickiness of the time that we're in where everybody's constantly having to, like, clean their hands and wear masks and gloves and feeling like anytime you have a tickle or, or you cough because some food went down the wrong way, do I got it? Do I got it? It sort of takes that paranormal paranoia and just 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 throws a bunch of you know chicken shit steroids on it and makes it really really grim and really really like viscerally tough to watch. It's weird that the Bay is number one in that like I will probably watch Quarantine, VHS two, and Chronicle more often than I would watch the Bay. Yeah. But as far as which is the most effectively made horror movie, what most effectively used the found footage to, to, to sell the situation and the horror, and the one that has the staying power, the one that will, will stick in the blackest corners of my thoughts, that like just doesn't sit well, that's The Bay. That's The Bay. It's an honestly tough horror movie, and uh, I, I have a lot of respect for it, so I gave it first place. 
who knew that chicken shit could be scary yeah they found a way they found a way so like really like all of our movies were one off of each other like yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bottom two the middle and two and the top two were all the same they were just flipped <laughs> yeah we just, just flipped so we're, we're pretty uh, we're on the same same level Thank you so much for doing found footage. I'll let you can do whatever you want, carte blanche. And if and when you decide you want to do the podcast again, I always love having you on board. Uh, what do you think? Uh, should we talk Sarah into doing one of these one of these times? <laughs> um, I've got a feeling probably no. But <laughs> uh, what about Tyler? Oh, I don't know. You could uh, do like a, a rank and review of like all the Call of Duty games. <laughs> we don't do video games. But I, I want to give a special shout out to Tyler because he's a 2020 graduate and it's a fucked yep. up year to be a graduate. But on one side, like it is memorable, like it is culturally significant that this was his graduation year, but it sucks that he was deprived of that. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Do send some love to the fam. I hope you're holding together well in, in Edmonton. But look, if you got to be stuck in the house, you got a good group of people to be stuck with, don't you? Yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're making do, doing the best we can. Having some fun. <laughs> Watch more movies, brother. Yeah. <laughs>